0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: Psalm 27, starting at verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh... When my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord.
0: Well, good evening. Uh, let me add my welcome to Paul's. It's great to have you with us and um, uh, particularly if, uh, if you're new, or if you're visiting us. Um, we're going to be looking at that um, psalm together, so do keep it open. Um, there's a bit of blank space on the back of the service sheet. If, uh, if you're a scribbler and that helps you, then there's a bit of space you can take notes there. Um, I'm going to pray for the Lord's help as we come to look at this passage and then we'll dive in. So let's pray. Our Lord God, the, um, the book of Psalms begins by speaking of the blessed person as the one who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. And so we pray that as we come to this passage this evening, you would help us to delight in your word to us uh, help uh, me to speak clearly help us to understand it but more than that would you bring it home to our hearts to our uh, to our lives to change us in jesus name amen well let me ask you what are you afraid of what are you afraid of what keeps you up in the middle of the night? You know those sort of um, 3 a.m. thoughts where you've got a bit of sleep in, but then you find yourself awake, unable to sleep, and the anxious thoughts fill your head. What, um, what worries you and makes you feel concerned in life? Uh, fear is one of those pervasive and inescapable emotions, isn't it? We find ourselves nervous, concerned, worried, anxious about all manner of things as we go through life. We might be anxious about moving to a new home and a new city. Or I think of a friend, uh, Sean, uh, who was uh, recently made redundant uh, when I spoke to him a few years ago. And and his big fear was not being able to provide for his family. And maybe we know that sort of fear. I think of uh, a young mum I know and um, the way that all of the things beyond her control make her anxious. So many things in life to be anxious about that are just beyond our control. Uh, I think of a teenager who I chatted to on a summer camp a few years ago who said to me, uh, Andy, I, I believe um, the things I'm hearing about Jesus Christ, but, but if I'm honest, I'm just worried what my friends will think of me if I was to become a Christian. I, I wonder, what are you afraid of? What makes you anxious? What makes you worried? Here in Psalm 27, uh, we meet a man King David, the great king of Israel, it's the Psalm of David, who claims to be fearless. Have a look at verse one: "The Lord is my light and my salvation; whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid?" Verse three: "My heart will not be fear; uh, my heart will not fear. Even then, I will be confident." Uh, Here is a believer in the Lord who claims that because he knows the Lord, he's not fearful, anxious, worried. And the question I want to ask this evening is a simple one, really. How is it possible not to be anxious in life, not to be afraid? But what does it look like to live a life of fearless faith? And that's what David's going to tell us about. In this wonderful psalm, uh, three uh, things we'll see this evening that track on to the sort of three, um, the three parts of this poem or song that's what the psalms are that give us an anatomy of the fearless life. And the first one is this security in the Lord. Uh, David says that his security is in the Lord. Have a look at verse one with me. The Lord. Is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And maybe you've um, had uh, the experience, maybe this summer, where you um, you go on a camping holiday. And um, it's somewhere in the countryside, and so there's none of the sort of helpful street lighting of a city like Sheffield. Uh, There's nothing to help you know your way. It's pitch black. And, you know, um, if you can picture the sort of the darkness on that camping trip, or, uh, you know, you're in North Wales or something like that, and so dangers are to your left and your right, and um, it's dark, and um, you know, my memory of these sort of camping holidays is that as you go home from whatever activity you've been doing and you're stumbling about in the dark, Dad has the one family torch. I don't know, maybe your family's more affluent than mine. But Dad's got the torch and you follow the light. And, um, and you know that, well, barring the possibility that Dad ends up in a ditch, you know that if you keep following that one torchlight there that through the darkness, you'll be okay all the way back to the luxury accommodation of the igloo tent that you're all gonna be squeezing into. Uh, And that's the picture of verse one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. It's actually, it's an image from the Exodus. If you know that book of the Bible where um, the Lord God rescued his people from slavery to tyranny in Egypt. He set them free with mighty miracles And then he led them as a pillar of fire and light through the wilderness to the beautiful land that he'd promised them. And David looks back on that and says, that's my God, the Lord who is light and salvation, the one who has rescued a people and will bring them to the place of his presence, the perfect place. And of course, that... um, Uh, that great miracle of the Exodus, Um, as New Testament believers, we know that um, it's nothing more really than a scale model of the greater salvation that God was preparing for when God would become man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The God who died on a cross for us to save us from our sin, from death, from hell itself. And the God who by his spirit will lead us all the way to the perfect place that he has prepared for us, that final rescue when we'll see him face to face and he'll wipe away every tear from our eye. eye. Do you see verse one? The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Christian can say what David says here. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? Not sin, not death, not hell. The cross has paid the price for those to save us. And if not those things, not the unknown, not my circumstances, not that painful situation that I face. Now, if I'm a Christian, I am in Christ, and he is in me. The Bible says that when we, when we believe in Jesus, it's like we are, um, we're in him. He is, um, verse one, the second half, the stronghold of our life. Uh, we're, we're in him, and all the good things Jesus deserves, we get and so we have a God who has bound himself to us in love to bring us to the perfect place that he's promised. And if that's our God, if we can point to that God and say, that, That's my God, the Lord is my light and my salvation, then there really is no one to fear. You see, here's the thing our biggest fears in life reveal our idols. Uh, The Bible says that an idol is something that we trust in the place of God, a a created thing that we look to and we say, This will give me security, when actually God is the only one who will give us security. You know, idols say to us, I will keep you safe. But the irony is, that actually they make us less secure. More than that, they fill us with fear and anxiety. Uh, Let me just go back to the examples I began with for a moment. Um, if, um, If money, if that material provision that allows you to provide, if that is the thing that we look to, well, it promises security, doesn't it? The good income, owning my own home, having savings, a pension, all of that stuff, it promises to make us secure in life. But actually, it only makes us anxious, doesn't it, and fearful. I wonder if anyone here has lain awake at 3 a.m. thinking and worrying about money. It makes us fearful. The previous church we were at was just outside of London. Um, lots of the guys there worked up in the city in finance, and so they were earning big money. But again and again, the testimony that I would hear from guys who'd become a Christian was how they'd, um, they'd been made redundant during some financial financial downturn. And um, and really, overnight, they'd gone from the six-figure salary and everything that they thought would keep them secure to no income whatsoever. And it had terrified them to see that money couldn't keep them safe. And of course, it had made them look ahead to the fact that you cannot take a single penny with you to the day that you die, nor can you add a day to your life by stacking up wealth. And they'd realised that there was no security there And wonderfully, some of those blokes had found a security that isn't threatened by redundancy or the next financial crash, isn't threatened by a pay freeze, isn't threatened by death. Security in the Lord, my light and my salvation. Um, A couple of other examples. Control. Think of that young mum. Control promises to keep us secure, doesn't it? If I can just control my life, I'll be okay. But of course, the more that you try to control things, the more you try to control the relationships and the people and all of the moving parts of your life, the more you realize you just can't do it. And so the more that you lean on control for your security, the more anxious that you get. Or the perfect relationship. Well, if we think the perfect relationship will keep us secure, we need to know that there are no perfect people. And so they'll always disappoint us and always make us anxious, won't they? David says that the wise person, the person free from anxiety and fear, is the one who finds their security in the Lord. Um, Look at verse three with me. Um, David is a king, and he imagines pretty much the worst situation that could happen to him. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear though war break out against me, even then I'll be confident. You see, here is the worst situation you can imagine. He's a king of a nation. He's a man who knew what it was to be under attack from enemies. You just think of um, when his own son rebelled against him and the, um, the enemy nations that really surrounded Israel during that period. And here he says, imagine the worst circumstances possible, an army right at my gates, even then. I'll trust in the Lord. Even then I'll be confident. He'll be my security. Uh, Paul makes a similar sort of point in in Romans 8. It's a famous passage. You don't need to turn there. Um, you might know in Romans 8, verse 31, um, Paul says, If God is for us, who can be against us? And it makes sense, doesn't it? If you've got God in your corner, who's going to match up to the creator of the universe? But he doesn't say if God is for us, everything will go as we want. We'll never face the difficult circumstances. No, he goes on to assume that hard things will happen. Uh, He talks about trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. And I take it he mentions these things because they could happen to Christian believers. But he says that in all of these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us because not one of them can uh, separate us from the love of God and you see that's the very same point that, that David makes in this psalm here even in the worst circumstances he can trust the Lord that God has committed himself to love him that he has nothing to fear in all of these things not not being rescued from them, but in them, he can trust the Lord. See, when we face fear, when we face anxiety, we can pray for God to take away the circumstances that make us fearful. Oh, we can do that. He's a powerful God, and he may answer that prayer. But here is David saying more than that, even in the circumstances... Pray that the Lord would change what you trust and love and desire so that your trust would be in him and not in the material things. In the God who, who, yes, may lead us through difficult circumstances and yet the God who led a people through the wilderness and faithfully kept his promise to them. A God who went to a cross for us and will lead us to that promised future place where he'll wipe every tear from our eye. Uh, You might know the story of um, John Chrysostom. He was an early Christian leader. Um, Apparently, he was a very good preacher. Chrysostom means um, golden mouth, so that's what they thought of him. Um, He was on trial before the Roman emperor for his life, and um, the Roman emperor said to him, we will banish you if you do not stop preaching what you're preaching, Uh, John Chrysostom said, respectfully, you can't because the whole world is my father's house. Uh, The emperor said, right, well, in that case, we'll execute you. You can't. My life is hid with Christ in God. Well, we'll remove your estate then. You can't. My treasure is in heaven. Well, we'll lock you in solitary confinement. Not a person will speak to me, to you. You can't. I have a friend from whom you can never separate me. He went on to say this I defy you. There is nothing you can do to me. Do you see? His confidence was in the Lord, and so his faith was fearless. Uh, not confidence in the material things of this life, not the comfort, the control, the, um, the wealth, the relationships, but the promises of a God who is faithful, God who died on a cross for us and promises through whatever you face that he will get you to the new heavens and the new earth where he'll wipe every tear from your eye. You see, the, fi- the fearless man, his confidence, his security... Is in the Lord. Uh, But then, secondly, we see that his satisfaction is in the Lord. Uh, This is verses four to six. His satisfaction is in the Lord. Now, Paul's asked the question of us a number of times. If you could ask God for one thing, if you could have one prayer, I wonder what it would be. Uh, Perhaps you've thought of something as we've been going through the service. Uh, I know that growing up, my one prayer when I was younger uh, would have been to own my own ice cream van. So if you do that, come and see me afterwards. Uh, And when I was older, it would have been to play for England. And of course, you get humbled when you get to the age where all the footballers are half your age and that can no longer happen but here is the one thing that David would ask of the Lord verse 4 one thing I ask of the Lord this is what I seek the one thing that means more than anything to him that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple The one thing that David desires, the one thing that he thinks will make him happy above everything else, is to be near to God and to look at God. He says, I don't want to wait till that day to see you face to face. Just give me a taste of it now. I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord." Uh, I wonder, have you come to realise that no one and nothing is more glorious than the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus Christ? Uh, this is one of the great differences between the, um, the Christian person and the person who's not yet converted. Um, you see, um, I know lots of non-Christian people who are impressed by the idea of God or they love to think and talk about God. Um, I've got non-Christian friends who are, who are excited by the benefits that knowing God would offer, you know, friends who would love to be forgiven, they'd love eternal life, they'd love the change and meaning and purpose that the gospel seems to offer, but only someone who has been changed by the Holy Spirit of God is excited by God himself. Uh, Only someone who's truly a a Christian will know what it is to want to to gaze on the beauty, uh, not of all the things God offers, the things, but of the Lord himself, his character. To see that he's a God of power, of infinite power and yet personal love. A God who is unspeakably holy and yet a God of mercy. A God whose justice is complete and yet is a God of grace and forgiveness. You see, it takes the Holy Spirit to be thrilled by the character of God in all of his faithfulness and goodness and completeness. And of course, it's at the cross of Jesus Christ that we see that in its fullest and starkest way, isn't it? It's at the cross that we see his character in all of the fullness of its beauty, that holiness, that mercy, justice, grace, all of it as he hangs upon a cross for us. And yet for the person who doesn't know God, who's not yet a Christian, it uh, may be that you just look at the cross and see shame, or you wonder why, the, why Christians bang on about it so much. If that's you, let me appeal to you to look again at what the cross is all about. But I wonder, have you come to realize that no one and nothing is more glorious than God? Because this is what David wants more than anything else, and notice, uh, verse, um, verse four is, is set in distinctly emotional language. You know, if you, um, if you say to someone, I, I want to, to gaze on your beauty, well, um, I guess you'd better be married to them or pretty serious about it. But if you say to someone, I want to gaze on your beauty, um, you're not saying, I-, I want to know some facts about you, are you? It's a distinctly emotional turn of phrase. And that's precisely what David is talking about here. He's not just talking about understanding ideas about God. Uh, He's not just talking about getting another book of the Bible under my belt so that I know what it's about. Or or a bit more theology so that um, I can dazzle my friends or something like that. He's talking about experiencing for himself the, the, the goodness of the character of God in personal and emotional terms. Um, a few years ago, I read two books about South Africa. Uh, one of them was written by a, a, a journalist from The Economist called After Mandela, and it was crammed with uh, sort of facts and details and analysis of all of the ways that South Africa's changed since, um, since Nelson Mandela stopped being president uh, up till, I think it was written, about 2008 or 2009. Um, and, um, and it informed my mind enormously... Um, I, I read a second book that was also full of um, facts, but it was, it was a novel, um, and it was called Disgrace uh, by, by a novelist called J.M. Curtsy. Um, but, but what the novel did, as well as, as well as filling out the facts I understood about South Africa, it, it also captured my heart with the ugliness of racial injustice and the beauty of reconciliation uh, the pain of, of living in a community so sort of broken by the history of South Africa. Uh, and you see, you see what I mean. It, it didn't just inform my mind. It, it captured my heart. And maybe you've um, had that experience of putting a coin into a Coke machine, and then the coin just sort of sticks, and you have to kind of bang the side of it or shake it a bit uh, and then the coin will drop down and at you actually get your drink and um, it, it can be like that with our understanding of the bible and sometimes we need to know more than just um, the facts on the page we need to um we need to pray that the lord would give us a bit of a bang on the side and shake us a bit so that those truths would drop from our heads to our hearts and we wouldn't just um we wouldn't just know truths about God, but would long to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. I wonder, um, let me ask you how, um, how your Bible reading is going. Uh, I wonder what's going on in your heart as you listen to sermons or meet with your small group. Uh, perhaps it's all become a bit dry and routine for you. Uh, It may be that the fears and pressures and anxieties of this life just fill your view so much that it almost seems like um, it's just a routine thing to be got through. Well, we need to be praying, Lord, help me to enjoy you. Help me to see your beauty in your word as we come to it. See, the funny thing is that our fears often reveal what we think will really satisfy us, After all, the thing that you think will make you really happy is the thing more than anything that you fear losing. If I think material possessions are the key to happiness, nothing will scare me more than finding it hard to make ends meet. If I think relationships are the key to happiness, well, I'll be terrified by the thought of being left on the shelf. Uh, And what if my relationship isn't working, full of anxiety? And yet here is one who is fearless precisely because he delights to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. You know, I think this is the issue that's the heart of Christian godliness. After all, so often, when we, when we sin and turn our backs on God, it's because we, um, we fear missing out, isn't it? You know, whether it's at work, at school, at university, um, we think that there's something in the world that'll make us happier than following God, And so our hearts are drawn in that direction. But of course, all it does is fill us with fear and anxiety. And so here is a great aim for us if we want to be fearless. To aim not to simply know about God, but to enjoy him, to find our satisfaction in him. Now, of course, we need need understanding. God has spoken. We need to hear what he has to say in the Bible and understand it but it's praying for that coin to drop from head to heart that we might uh, gaze on the beauty of the Lord and enjoy him. Uh, Actually, it's one of the reasons that we sing so um, look at verse six with me for a moment. Uh, he, he pictures himself in the temple, secure and satisfied in the presence of God, and says, verse six, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I'll sing and make music to the Lord. Now, why do we sing when we meet together? Well, part of it, the book of Colossians says, is so that we can then um, proclaim the truth to one another, teach one another, but another part of it is because singing enables us to express, and, and yes, to, to feel the emotions that line up with the truth that we're seeing in the Bible. It enables us to delight in the Lord. Now, of course, um, cultures are different, personalities are different, um, heaven knows music tastes are different, and we're not to manufacture emotions, and yet... And yet, as we sing, we're to rejoice to the Lord, and our singing helps us to to line up our emotions with the truths of the Bible. It helps for that coin to drop from head to heart. Uh, Sometimes we talk about preaching as teaching the Bible, don't we? And that's true. I want to teach you this evening, but again, it's more than that. Because we're praying that as we gather here this evening, we won't just learn information, but the coin will drop from head to heart. We'll we'll be be captured by a vision of the beauty of the Lord who has committed himself to us in love. And we'll be driven not to fear, but to love and thankfulness and praise, a confident, a a fearless faith, a joyful, a singing faith. And we'll do that together in a moment. But if those are the two big principles of the fearless life, uh, security in the Lord and satisfaction in the Lord... Uh, the second half of the psalm, we, we won't spend nearly as long on it, you'll, um, you, you'll be pleased to hear, but it, it really, um, it gives us something of an application of those principles, because the thing is that um, you might have been sitting here this evening, as you've looked at the first half of the psalm and said, well, I can sympathise with some of this. You know, I'm a Christian, and at times I have felt this security and satisfaction in the Lord, but at the moment... Well, my fears and anxieties, they just weigh me down. I find myself up at 3 a.m. regularly. I, I, I just, I can't feel this now. I'm full of fear. And I think it's true for every Christian, isn't it? You know, we go to church or um, we take a week at Keswick or something like that and we come back full of the joy of the Lord. We can't even imagine wanting to sin or live less than wholeheartedly. But within days, maybe the next morning, we find that the same old concerns and struggles and fears begin to cloud our world. And I wonder if you noticed that as it was read, the tone of the psalm changes in verse seven. And we see um, finally the struggle to seek the Lord Uh, The fearless person struggles to seek the Lord. Verse seven, hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. Do you hear that? You know, if if there was music playing in the background of this song, we'd have a definite key change, wouldn't we, at verse seven, as he cries out to the Lord and he feels distant from God. Verse 8, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. He feels guilty. Verse 9, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my saviour. Uh, Tim Keller has written an excellent little book about suffering called um, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And and he says in his experience, when people face hard times, it either draws them away from God or draws them closer to him. Uh, The same is surely true of our guilt and our fears and our anxiety. Uh, Either we turn our back to him in those times or we draw near. And here David struggles but he draws near two things that he does: He prays and he preaches to himself. So um, verses um, six to 10, really, are taken up uh, sorry, six to, to 12 are largely taken up with them um, with what he prays to the Lord. Uh, he prays for forgiveness, and he prays for that, that closeness, that delight, that satisfaction to be restored. Verse nine. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my saviour. He wants God to feel close once again. I wonder how often our, um, our guilt and our anxieties are tied up together. And here is a believer who humbly gets on his knees and asks for forgiveness and asks to feel close to God again. You know, um, when I became a Christian, I thought, um, uh, when I first sort of came into contact with biblical, uh, Bible-believing Christians, I thought that Christianity was all about um, moral achievement. You know, I thought that these were the people who believed genuinely that they were good enough for God, and of course, um, the first thing I discovered was that it's nothing like that. Jesus came for the weak, and um, the sinful, the guilty, the, um, the struggling, the, the anxious, the fearful and came to give us rest. He died on a cross that we might be forgiven and have the concrete certainty of eternal life with him. And here's the thing, that that was true then, but it's still true now, however long you've been a Christian believer. Whatever you feel anxious and fearful about, however far from the Lord you feel, come back to him. Ask for his forgiveness where you need to. Now, be honest about that he's God he already knows so be honest and come back to him and ask him if you can know the closeness of gazing at him once again by faith he uh, he prays you know the most helpful piece of advice that uh, my wife Jess has frequently given me after i poured out all of the things that i'm anxious about is um, a simple question Andy, have you prayed about it? And how often I, I kick myself because I've been too busy complaining about it or too busy um, going over and over it in my head and I haven't turned to the Lord with it. And here is a believer who does that. And of course, he doesn't just pray for forgiveness and for closeness. He prays as well that God would teach him his way in, um, uh, in verses 11 and 12, he's aware that there are people who think badly of him, and the only way that he wants to know is how to live in line with God's word. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. You see, here is um, precisely the prayer for satisfaction in in God. Um, Teach my heart to want to go after your way, to delight in what you say is right. If you feel anxious about things here this evening, let me ask you what my, uh, my wife always asks me. Have you prayed? Have you asked the Lord to um, let him be your security and your satisfaction? But he doesn't just pray, he also preaches to himself. I wonder if you noticed that, he, he preaches to himself. Verse eight, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Or again, verse 13, I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart and wait for the Lord. Do you hear a believer reminding himself again and again of the truths of the gospel? Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart. Those great words that Joshua spoke to the people as they were entering the land, you know, it's a follow after the pillar of fire moment. Be strong, take heart, wait for the Lord to deliver what he's promised. He says to himself, seek God's face in verse eight. He's reminding himself again and again those truths we've seen in verses one to six. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so I don't need to fear the Lord is my satisfaction, the one I long to gaze upon. He's reminding himself over and over that God has bound himself to him in love so he will see the goodness of the Lord, that God has promised him that he will get him to that new heavens and new earth where he will wipe every tear from his eye and so he can wait for the Lord to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I wonder how often our anxieties and fears are made worse by the fact that we listen to ourselves rather than talking to ourselves. You know that little voice that just tells you over and over again about what might happen, what could happen, and the what ifs that just make us more and more afraid. Well I wonder how often we preach to ourselves the truths of the gospel. How often we say to ourselves those sort of verse 13 and 14 words Soul, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. He will keep his promises. The circumstances are hard, but wait. He will keep his promises to you. I wonder if you listen to yourself more or talk to yourself more when you're anxious. Here is a believer who struggles when it's hard to pray that God would drive home the truth that the Lord truly is one who keeps us secure and satisfied and one who preaches that message to himself over and over and over. Well, look, as I close, let me just say a word. Um, it, it struck me, and it's been beautiful for me as I've been going through these Psalms, as we've been looking at them over the summer, to see how the Lord Jesus is both the great example of faith uh, that is depicted in the Psalms, and you think of the one who entrusted himself to his heavenly Father, even when great suffering lay ahead. His security was in the Lord, But also the Lord Jesus is the one who makes this sort of faith possible because it's as we look at him, as we pray to him, as we remind ourselves of him, that we see one who is a loving sovereign, a one who loved like no one else has loved, one who had power like no one else has ever had, one who has never, there's never been one so good, one who said to us, um, Come to me, all who are thirsty, and I will give you living water. In our struggles, in our anxieties, the Lord Jesus enables us. We look to his cross. We look to his promises, his provision. We look at his person and delight in him, and it drives out fear. And so here is a fearless believer. I wonder where our hearts are this evening where our security is, where our satisfaction is. Let me pray. (laughs) The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord's. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Our Lord God, we pray that you would indeed drive out our fear. Fill us with that fearless faith that looks to you for security and satisfaction, that struggles to seek your face.
1: In Jesus' name, amen.